Good to see you all on this wonderful day. Today's message is brought to you by the letter D. Some of you know what we're talking about there. D-Day. Twelve days ago, on the 74th anniversary of D-Day, I sat for a few minutes with retired German professor Bob Cummings up in the nursing home, learning about the day he landed with his company of Army engineers and was already trudging over thousands of bodies of slain heroes on the beach. Their mission was to free Europe from Nazi occupation. We owe such a great of debt to these people, Bob, his generation, and all who served on that undeniably greatest of D-Days. D-Day is actually a term the Army uses on many occasions or on other occasions, but this, I guess we can honestly say, was the most strategic D-Day in history. By the way, his family was here. Bob's family was here in the first service, and I didn't know that. And uh, that greatly touched them. They said he only talked about that years and years later. And you know how that is. That's a serious D. Less serious, we could talk about your favorite sport, D, the defense versus the offense. We could promote our favorite delicious food, ice cream especially when we're missing it this summer at certain places. Even on a little more cerebral note for some here, we could debate which symphony in D, let's say D major is best. Do you have your favorite D major symphony? It's got to be Brahms' second D major symphony. All right. I was waiting for somebody to argue with me on that. So the bulletin already gives away today's D. It stands for discipleship. And actually, this is a major theme in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus, and in the book of Acts. I'll be looking at several of those passages. We already read the two that were kind of like a sandwich. The Gospels, Matthew telling us the first disciple called, and then at the end of the same Gospel, Jesus commissioned, sending those same disciples out to make more disciples. Just so you know, uh, we're breaking the psalm tradition for a few weeks, or some of us will. Pastor uh, John Cole and Pastor Lori uh, Smalley will be preaching. And we decided together, I mean, I decided for them together, that we would preach on discipleship. After all, we're the children's disciple, the youth disciple, and the adult discipleship pastors of your church. So we have a responsibility. And I gave them a signed reading from... One of our own members here and board member who has written the book on discipleship. And I tell you, first half of it is really a whole study of the history of discipleship, different types of discipleship in the church from John Wesley to Dallas Willard and everybody in between. But a great look at the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It's uh, Don Little's book, Effective Discipling in Muslim Communities. And uh, it's a tremendous book. And we've been reading it, and I think actually... John did a better job, and he's going to preach on some of that stuff, too. Well, we're, we're, we're familiar with discipleship, right? In various fields. A disciple is an avid student or follower of another. 
especially in some of the academic subjects, philosophy, history, science, art, writing, music, even in athletics, we have our favorite teachers, our gurus, our coaches, our mentors, our heroes. We want to copy their way. We want to learn from them. We even see it in families. He's a chip off the old block. <laughs> like father, like son. And so we, we are saying Happy Father's Day to you here. And we'll talk a little bit more uh, about parenting in a few minutes. More on that later. But I want to keep this quite basic. But of course, we'll just start with some Greek so you think I am a scholar. Uh, the word is mathetes in the New Testament. Mathetes, did I say that right? A student, exactly, a teacher, I mean a learner, a follower of a teacher. Someone who adheres to the lifestyle and the teachings of another. Now, Jesus wasn't the only one who had disciples. The Gospels tell us that John had disciples who came and wanted to ask questions. So John's disciples. But mostly the Gospels refer to the disciples as the 12 disciples. So go ahead, go to sleep, relax. Because I'm on, no, I'm not going to just talk about the 12 disciples. Luke also mentions a whole crowd of disciples who were there on Palm Sunday. And Jesus said, and I think Lori's going to talk about this, whoever wants to be my disciple and goes into the cost of discipleship. In Acts, disciples emerge as the name for the followers of Jesus. It says the number of disciples was increasing. They won a large number of disciples. They strengthened the disciples. They stayed a little longer time with the disciples. So, yes, disciples is us. It wasn't until Acts chapter 11 where the disciples were called Christians for the first time. The earlier, earliest followers of Jesus were disciples, not just the 12, but all the others who were around. The word Christian came later. But I keep devouring this little book by John Stott, his last words, his last book, The Radical Disciple. And Stott says that the word Christian may have become construed to be less demanding than disciple, so we prefer Christian. We worry about disciple. But he says, genuine discipleship is wholehearted discipleship. Radical discipleship is actually the norm for Christians. That's what we're called to. Disciples are us. Now, right up front, I want to be real theological, too. Because the rest of this is quite simple. But I loved in Stott's book, he talked about Christ-likeness as the aim of discipleship. And he shows how this was God's plan, this is what he's doing, and this is what he's going to do. Notice in Romans 8.29, yes, Wesleyans read these verses. God predestined his people to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's why he chose us, that's why he called us. It's his eternal purpose to be like him, for us to be like him. And the Second Corinthians 3.18, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed or changed. There was some of that in some of this uh, hymn that you sang for the offertory. We're being changed from one degree of glory into his image. This is the present work. God is working on us as disciples right now. 
That's why we have prayers of confession. Then 1 John 3, 2, one of my favorite verses. I think it was the first sermon I preached in seminary for a practice, you know. Dear friends, now we are children of God, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's our future destiny, to be like Christ. So in other words, this discipleship thing of making us like Christ is God's whole plan. Now, that was about as deep theology as I'm going to get to. Do we dare to be called disciples? Let's dig just a little deeper, but with a rather simple text. The one that you heard Luke read earlier from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Come, follow me. Aha, uh-huh. bad slide, I fault. Come, follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. But slide or no slide, you get it. It's real simple. That's our message for today. Jesus says, come. That's the invitation, the call to discipleship. So Jesus spots in his earliest days of ministry these fishermen by the Sea of Galilee, Simon and Andrew. And he says, come. They could easily have said, we're busy. We're fishermen. Life is good as it is. Give us a few months, even a couple years. We'll come along then. No, it says they dropped their nets and followed him. And I realize there, this is the text of him calling the original inner circle of 12. But a few chapters later in the same book of Matthew, you hear Jesus saying these words. I think they are a call to discipleship too. Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn. Be disciples of me. That includes all of us. <laughs> so have you heard and responded to Jesus' call? It's the Holy Spirit of God who does the calling. We don't initiate it. It's not our ingenuity, our curiosity, our cleverness, Even our strong desire that initiates this call, it's Jesus coming to us. He tugs, he calls, he speaks in a variety of ways. Sometimes it takes a long time. And sometimes you're adults, but I believe there are children who are called to be his disciples. And it'll grow. But it's for all generations, all ages. You can say, well, I I, I don't qualify. I can't do this. I'm not interested. It's too heavy for me. I'm too busy for now. I'm even too sinful. But this I know the Bible says. God's call is for everyone who will accept. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Oh yes, theological again, I know. But God wants all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So I believe the call is there. And uh, when sometimes you preach something that you, you want to fight against a little bit, you need to hear the words of my African preacher, Pabai Bangura, the first preacher we heard up in Kamabai when we were learning Creole, and it was my first Creole sermon. And I heard him say this in Creole. See if you can figure it out. So, so Jesus calls All of us. There's nobody that needs an excuse. Not to me talk them, oh, now God talk them. Not to me talk them, oh, now God talk them. You understand that one? 
<laughs> it's not me saying this. It's Jesus saying this. God says this. Not to me talk them. Not God talk them. So that's the call. It's, a, it's an invitation for everyone. Even everyone down at Market Basket or over at a Rapids game or over in uh, the Walmart or at your place of work, they all could hear God's call if we listen. So when we come, what are we called to? Simple sermon. Follow me. The journey or the commitment of discipleship. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the rub. And so those men followed him. Those women followed him. They did it for three years from village to village, around that lake, down the Jordan Valley, into dizzying cities of Jeru- the dizzying city of Jerusalem. They listened. They learned. They questioned. They changed. They saw his compassion. They witnessed his miracles and his healing. They watched him pray. They hung on his words, radical words about the kingdom of God, about loving others and forgiving your enemies, the Sermon on the Mount, about being born again, about forgiveness of your sins, about loving your neighbor, serving, suffering willingly. Yeah, that hymn was a little somber before the sermon. I thought maybe some of you were going to go to sleep. But those were part of what Jesus calls us to, even suffering. So attending this school of Jesus, they stumbled and failed and stretched and grew and longed to be like him. They awaited the day when, with the coming of his Holy Spirit, they would spring into action, discipling others. So now I I will try to define discipleship. I've been reading these books. They quote Dallas Willard. They quote John Wesley. They quote everybody. Here's Paul Shea's definition of discipleship. I hope it passes muster. Discipleship is taking the life and teachings of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own, and in community with others, an important point, living, and I would add, and growing like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. It's his work in us, but our willing response to the call. What a joy and delight to cooperate, to participate, to make it our goal to be his disciples. This is what happened actually on the birthday of the church in the book of Acts, chapter 2. This same Peter stood up to preach. It's not for just 12. It was for thousands who received that day the message. And he said, repent and be baptized. And these were thousands of disciples coming already early in the book of Luke. And then, excuse me, the book of Acts. And then Luke goes on to describe in Acts chapter 2, what do disciples do? Well, you know, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All believers were together and had everything in common. They gave to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together, broke bread in their homes, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's a description of discipleship. That's what the early church was doing. We always like to say that. We want to be an Acts church, an early church. Well, what is it again? Committed to the words of Jesus and the teaching of the word. Committed to community, worship, fellowship, sharing the Lord's Supper. Committed to prayer. Committed to caring for each other in body and spirit. Committed to joyful life together. 
I think most of us are doing good parts of this discipleship. And a part of it comes on Sunday corporate worship, the Lord's Supper, prayer, worship, and praise. So they went to the temple every day and prayed. It also is in there. Corporate worship, yes, that's part of it. And intimate personal meditation, devotion, yes, it's part of it. I think John Cole will go on with this, but notice that it's also in group settings almost constantly and smaller settings. 3,000 of them weren't together every day. They were in their home. And I look at you friends, and some of you have uh, barbecues or campfires outside your house, or I play golf with some guys. Is that discipleship? Yes. They hear me when I get mad and miss the putt. Oh, dear. But... That's part of discipleship. We have to be around each other and live and work and play together. (laughs) And we need small groups. And it was amazing for me to discover, and and I'm supposed to be the director of small groups. I know we have our formal small groups. There's about eight or so or nine of those during the week or Sundays. We have um, our Sunday school classes, adult Sunday school classes. Uh, We could add those up. We also have a number of small prayer meetings. Men are meeting on Wednesday or on Thursday. We have prayer meetings in some of your departments that I don't even know about. We have today after the first service, several people came. You don't know about my little prayer group that we have. I don't. That's great. That's discipleship. I counted about 30 groups, including the young people who have their breakfast pancakes on Tuesday. That's discipleship. How many times do you find Jesus eating with people? And so meals together, fellowship, swimming pool parties, all that I think is part of the body of Christ, the church, rubbing together and helping each other to grow in Christ. And I encourage you, number one, invite some others who aren't. You know they're missing some of this. Maybe a step, a stretch for them to fellowship with you some way or a group of you. Or if you don't know of anything besides Sunday worship, and would like a little time with some others, talk to me. I'll find somebody that would be nice to you. (laughs) I think we need this fellowship, and I'm thanking God that so much of it is going on. Have you found a place to be discipled? Have you made a commitment to seriously follow Jesus with the rest of us in the body of Christ? Now, one other aspect of this I just want to say is that discipleship Involves, involves mentors or models, role models. I've heard of professional athletes who don't want to be role models. They want to be the beasts that they are and, and just live their own lives. But young people are looking at them. <laughs> well, it's the same with us. People are looking at us. Stop and think for a minute. Who in your life has been a model or a discipler for you? It may not be in the traditional sense. They may not have had a little book that said, here are 12 steps to discipleship. When we were reading Psalm 119, I was thinking, well, maybe you think this is all about rules, obedience to the rules. David talks about rules, rules, rules. I love your rules, Lord. And I've been studying a lot of books on discipleship, and yesterday, district conference, the buzzword was discipleship. Oh, dear, I'm preaching on it tomorrow. What am I going to say? I think it's so much more than rules. When God puts his spirit in our hearts, he dwells in our hearts and we love his word. So I don't think it's just rules. I think it's mentors. It's people who rub shoulders, other disciples of Christ. Who was it in high school for you? Who was it 
in college for you. And a big disciple, character, person, people in your life are your parents. And the only illustration, well, one of the two illustrations today I have is on fathers. My own father. My father and mother went to Africa when I was already off to seminary. Went to Sierra Leone. Late in their lives, already had their opinions, their likes, their favorite food, their favorite pillow and bed, their favorite everything. And they went to a country that was very different. People very different. And I said this in the early service, I say it cautiously, but missionaries are human. And um, other missionaries on the field have a life experience there, and they know all the wrong things about Sierra Leone, or all the wrong things about their missionary colleague and who does discipling another way, or church, plants churches another way, or believes that schools is the way to win, or deci- hospitals are the way to win, and And even the local politicians, some who are not Christians, are just terrible people. And their culture and their food and their things are just all wrong. And here were 50, 60-year-old people going to Africa. And for eight years, we got their blue air form letters. This is the dark ages for you college students when we didn't have internet. And they got air form letters. So every two weeks, we'd hear a letter from my parents. I'm looking everywhere for wrong things about Africa, bad things about Africans. After all, there are different culture and a different race and they they do things differently and and those colleagues of mine must be terrible people it was all positive every bit of it was positive until they died at 96 and 101 it was all positive i never heard a bad word it's like i never heard a discouraging word is that some home on the range my parents modeled A life without racism. I'm sorry, I think they actually had a life without racism. Even my Canadian dad, who loved great hymns, came back and said, you know, they sing and dance when they sing in Africa, and it's so great. They give their offering this way. Whoa, that was a conversion. Had no bad word about that music. In fact, he recorded it for eight years and sent it over to another radio station who beamed it back into Africa. All indigenous music from different languages. You don't hear it much more in Africa now. They've gotten all contemporary with big loud guitars and electronic boom, boom, boom and Western music and that sweet indigenous music is still on recordings at least for my father. What am I trying to say? My parents modeled an attitude of Christ about their colleagues, about people of another race and culture about life. They didn't show pictures of the bathrooms in Africa. For Pete's sake, some of our missionary slideshows are wrong. That isn't what this is about. It's about loving God's people. Now, I have to confess, and in early service, they laughed about this because they knew me well. I ain't there yet. I can still let slip out some things about people But boy, I had an example, and it was a human being who loved Christ, learned Christ, showed me Christ, and lived Christ in front of me. That's discipleship. That's what we need. Which brings us quickly to the last point, aren't you glad? To, uh, if I can find it. (laughs) What did Jesus conclude his little fishing trip with? 
Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. The task, the work, the commission of discipleship. Maybe that's why we run from it. So Matthew 4 was this first slice of bread, and in the middle was the life of Jesus for three years, showing them how to be disciples. And at the end, the other slice of the sandwich is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Your disciples make more disciples. Now, we a lot of times think of that as, um, you see the scripture there, we think of that as a missionary text for overseas. If it's not news to you, if it's been thought that way, it's not news, it should, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It should be not news to you today that this is for us right here and now. How's that? And look at how we do this. We do it in the authority of Jesus, the teacher, and we're disciples, and we go make disciples in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just on our own strength. So I invite you to invite others into your life, and some who are not in the church, some who are out there where you are. I told one other story, and I'll tell it here in this service. It was another father, and Gus Princell was in the service today with his son, John. I taught for, I don't know, 19 years at Houghton College missions courses, and I gave them all A's in my course, and I was considered an easy teacher. But I powered and pummeled a lot of missions into their heads, you know? And many of them went off into the world to be missionaries, some to Middle East, some to Africa, some to Eastern Europe. And I thought I was a pretty good teacher. And then they start coming back to Houghton to visit on homecomings and other things. You know where they go to visit? They make a beeline to Gus and Louise. Princell, old people who sit in their house and pray for them and write them letters and go to every chapel when they could. People in this community who just loved and devoured college students. And just this week, I learned of several others. Bethany Tennant in, 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 in Africa, East Africa. Hard time, tough time. You know, she's living by herself in a Muslim village. And they're writing to her and saying, hold on, care, God's taking care of you. And when she comes to visit last summer, where does she go? Well, the Aronsons, but also to Gus and Louise. And I could name half dozen easy who think of Gus and Louise as their disciples. And this is just my little commercial to add to you. Adopt some college students. Get around them. Be their friends. Even if you're a faculty member and have that formal relationship, Somewhere outside of class, welcome college students. That's our goal for this fall anyway. Now you've heard it from your college discipler pastor. <laughs> yes, we have to reach out to make disciples. So adopt children in our church, youth in our church, adults, other adults, those who seem maybe new and different. Have a heart to be Christ to others. Paul said it well. I follow my example as I follow Christ. That's our, ta- that's our task. So I'm not perfect at it, but come along with me. I honestly can say there are doubts that sometimes strike us, but it's a couple of saints who are proof to me that Jesus is who he says he is. More than apologetic arguments, 
all the studies in seminary, it's been some saints, some ordinary people, including my father and mother, who've been through suffering and hardship, difficulties, questions, doubts. But there they go, marching along, following Christ and bringing me along with them. That's what we need to be as a church in our world today. Imagine Jesus walking up to you and saying, Come, follow me. Come, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of people. That's your D-Day. God calling you to follow him in discipleship and to join with the church locally and worldwide to make disciples of all people. You too are heroes. This world needs you, pointing the way and living the life of the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice of himself on the cross for our sins and for the whole world. Lord, help us to be disciples. Amen. Lord, we do commit to you our lives. Thank you for role models that we may have even thought of today who lived the life of Christ through the thin and thick of life in front of us. Some taught us, some modeled for us, some befriended us. Thank you for them. Thank you for our parents, those who modeled Christ. And Lord, make us your disciple-makers in our world as we move forward. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.